2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is A Lot To Talk About. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. But of course, you can call me Brad. Very excited to be here with an incredible guest. A guest who has taken us a little while to get here, but I'm excited (laughs) that we're finally sat on this table having a conversation. Our guest today is an author. She is a a writer in, in many ways, an artist, a performer, a woman who is incredibly proud of a culture, which I'm so excited to get into today, but just a woman of, of creativity and brilliance. And we had a beautiful conversation off mic and I'm excited to now have record going so that we can continue this conversation and share and connect on story. So from your home or car, wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only Curly Saunders. Oh, thank you. Um, before we start, I acknowledge Miyoni Gananugang, Tarawo, Elara, Wadi Wadi, Yuen, Madong Borengiling Gyangu, and Yarenji Borengiling. I give my thanks and acknowledgement and pay my respect to the old people here. We're on Tarawo country down by Garu, the beach, um, the sea, and under those beautiful Bibara, the mountains. And it's a real treat to be here with you. I've got Darawal ties on pop side, but I'm a Gunai woman and was raised on Gunangara lands up over the mountain. Um, and then, yeah, Gunai down around Victoria and Ewan as well and Birupai on pop side. So mob all and up, up and down the coast and wherever that saltwater dreaming is, is usually my favorite place to be. I love that so much. Tell me what language was that? Uh, it's a mix of Gunangara and Darawal. Okay. Um, but I mean, they share a lot of pretty similar languages, uh, similar, similar words. Yeah. So... Um, Yarinji, that word is, we say Yarinji here on Darawal and Yalanji um, up on Ganagara or Yalanji up on Ganagara. So pretty, pretty close for my appreciation or my gratitude. It's so beautiful that we can start to have these conversations around connecting culture. Yeah. It's one thing that for me over the last probably five years, I've started to learn a little bit more about Aboriginal culture as my family you know, you arm your grandparents with an iPad, they start to do the family tree, right? And my nan and my pop discovered that we have Indigenous heritage on pop's side of the family. Cool, So pop's mum. Yep. So she was born here on Mm -hmm. Darawal country and then she sort of ventured up into the northern Queensland sort of area for a lot of years and then come back here where she met my pop's father who was Scottish. Yep. So, and then, you know, they got together, had a number of children. And so we've only really in the last couple of years started to hear about our heritage. Yeah. And Nan and Pop got quite active in the Aboriginal community here. Yep. And started going to a project, if I remember correctly, Unny Jeans. Yep. And Nan and Pop were, were regular features there. It's harder mm-hmm. for them now because Pop's a little slower yeah. and it's a little harder for him to get around. But often uh, a bunch of the crew who were in that community will come over to their place and have a cover and... Oh. So they're really well connected and, and yeah. would often go to the weekly picnics. And so it's been beautiful to learn about the culture and understand it a little bit more. There's so much learning to go. Yeah. But I think this, this history, um, 
the history in our nation means that so many of our families have been disrupted, displaced, removed. Like my own mother was born on Ewan country and taken um, as a state ward and raised in children's homes. Um, and before that, we were, you know, grandparents on both sides on missions and as far back, it's mission history, you know, being taken off country, placed into reserves. And I think there's a reason that a lot of mob either don't identify or um, unable to articulate connection to country or don't have connection to the country that they are from. When I say Gunai, you know, I'm talking about my grandmother's line, but I'd, I've never grown up on Gunai country, but that's where we're from. That's where my family is tied into. So, yeah, it sounds it sounds like your your family's gone and done that work to reconnect and and be involved in community. And I think that's such a powerful part of being mob, is being a part of connected to country but tied into your community. Um, and yeah, being in reciprocity and responsibility and and love and connection with family and community. Well, we spoke about it just a few moments ago to understand where we're going and to understand who we are. We have to understand where we're from yes, and who we are at the core. And I think mm-hmm. culture is a part of that. It's a big part of that. Yeah. I know it's been an incredible part of your life and it's a big part of your purpose. We had a conversation off mic about purpose. Mm-hmm. I'd love you to share your purpose and then talk to us about how you're playing out your purpose and living a life on purpose. Yeah. Um, I, I love this question. And I mean, earlier we were yarning about Ben Crow and, and I, well, I'm sure I'll, I'll touch on that too. Um, and yeah, I suppose Gunnigalung is this word for dreaming up on Gunnagara country, but everywhere there's a different name for it. Um, and the dreaming is, and I've spoken about it before, but it has three parts or it's told to me to have three parts. Um, and this is taking a galaxy and kind of, you know, summarizing it down into something quite small and tangible, but um it's our way of being in relationship with each other and with country and with community um, so that we can share our gift. And you are born from country. You live for country to protect her and serve her for as long as you're here. And when you pass, you return back to country. And you, while you're here, have to take care of yourself so that you can share your gifts with community, that third part. Um, and for me, it's been a storyteller and artist and it takes many forms. I'm teacher trained in yoga and also the classroom primary schools um and I love teaching but story is what I keep coming back to in in teaching and in sharing knowledge and um I think when I've yarned about Ben before that idea of to create to connect to make change is the purpose that I've pulled out of doing that mojo work um in his coursework and I think those two parts to create to connect to make change and to live in alignment with my dreaming are what provide me with purpose if I can't care for country and you know take care of myself and share my gift with community then I'm not doing work that I'm supposed to be doing it's a real um, allows me to sift through what I should take on and what I should leave yeah that's beautiful you you spoke to me earlier about at 22 having your first book picked up I'm interested because for me creativity was something pretty present in my early life it just felt natural for me I think two parents who are quite energetic and have good personalities and would often pick up a pencil and draw and you know draw funny pictures with me as a kid it's something I was drawn to naturally but I know that's not the case for everyone some people are potentially encouraged into creativity and then it becomes a love what does that story look like for you oh I definitely was yeah I'm, I'm 
avid creator as a kid. I loved mostly drawing, actually drawing, painting. I was always making things um, and some writing, but more predominantly art as a young person. And my pop is a really incredible artist, my auntie Jen. Um, she's an incredible artist as well. And on mum's side, you know, my uncle, beautiful musician. So I think we had this, um, this beautifully gifted and talented creative people around us. And it was just part of the fabric of our life that we were surrounded by story and by music and by art. And um, yeah, I grew up playing the flute, <laughs> which is, you know, Lizzo made this call. I'm really grateful for that. Um, but yeah, the flute, the piano, the guitar, I love making music now. And I'm sure that it's a result of living in a really creative household as a kid. Um, and I think there's so much, there's so much magic in learning to be experimental in that creativity and allowing for that to be okay. Because I, for me, creativity has been the antidote to perfectionism, which I think is a lot of, you know, um, a lot of people get frozen by that. Oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to get it wrong. Um, and creativity and that freedom in expression um, and experimentation mean that um, it brings a lot of magic into my life in undoing that. Yeah, I love that. And I can connect with what you mean there. I think there's a, there's a realization that I had early into the piece of, you know, starting this podcast, releasing this podcast, that if I'm going to release an episode a week, it can't be perfect. Perfection is a myth. There's always going to be imperfections. And it's often I will sit down, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm my own harshest critic, you know. Yeah. I'll sit down at the end of an app and go, far out, that intro was a bit slow. As a host, I wasn't on the ball there today. And then you'll get an, a message from someone once it's released and they'll go, that was one of your best. You're like, oh, And you go, cool. was it? Okay, <laughs> sweet. Yeah. And I think we realize that the more you create, the more comfortable you get with imperfection. Mm. And there's, I mean, that's such a human and core magical quality, imperfection. Um, actually, when we see perfect things, I think sometimes it's a bit daunting. Like mm. how often... Um, yeah, how often do you see something that's just a little bit obscure and you're like, I like that? Or when people are really vulnerable and open with you when they're going through a, a hard time instead of putting up the mask that they reveal to the world. I think that's a really sacred thing. Um, For yeah. sure. We spoke before about both being fans of Green Lights, oh, his book. So <laughs> One of the things I love from that book is less impressed, more involved. And yep. I think that speaks to imperfection, right? Totally. Like yeah. just, just be in it. I know he spoke about in that book, for anyone who's read it or listened to it, you'll know, but when he traded back for his truck from that sports car, yeah. you know, and he's like, I was spending too much time with my foot up against this fancy car, hair slicked back, worrying about how I looked. Yeah. And the minute I just got more involved in my own life and had a little bit of fun and, and let loose a little bit, oh. you start to feel that life gets a flow. Life starts to happen for you, not to you. Totally. And, and it's one of the things I love about creativity. And it's, it's something that I've picked up just from my, my time following you, I think I come across your stuff maybe around Feb time when I was away in Noosa. Mm, mm -hmm. And I th think that's when we had our first conversation. And mm -hmm. one of the things I noticed that everything you were doing was somewhat creative, not everything, but a lot of it was creative, but linked back to that purpose. Whether you were speaking, sharing poetry, talking about a, a book that you've written, whether it was art, music, it's linked back to that purpose. Yeah. That's obviously not always the case. So as a kid, we play, we test, we experiment, as you said. When did you really start to link that it was important to bleed your purpose into your work? Oof. Um, 
So the first book you mentioned before when I was, um, I was 22 when my book got picked up for publishing and I think it came out at 24, um, which I had lots of older artists and illustrators and authors say to me like, oh, you're very young. <laughs> um, and I'm certain that there's younger writers out there and, and much older ones. And um, I say that to mean that I think I, I want to encourage anybody who has a story, no matter their age, to come forward and tell that story. Um, because I think the sharing of stories and the humanity and the imperfection is really important. Um, but I, at the time, was uh, I'd been diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression and I was having a really hard time. And I bought myself a red Ducati, a motorbike, and wanted to be able to experience this world. I wanted to just ride my bike and be in freedom and independence and learn new skills and spend time out on country um, in you know beautiful rainforests and by rivers. And I sat down and poured this whole book out onto the page, almost in one sitting after a ride through the Royal National Park, actually, and up onto Mount Gira. Came and sat down in Kiraville in a coffee shop and, yeah, wrote this whole book and thought, huh, that's that whole book is it, it looks like it's about freedom and this freedom seeking. But this girl lives in this world that's really sewn together by boundaries. Um, you know, this experience, this idea of what she has to be in the world and this perfection. And really, she's living this life, finding this freedom and this joy in her own way. And so I think from the start, the very first book that came out was one of purpose because mm. it was something that was created to connect to make change. It was created to encourage particularly girls um, and women to live out their big dreams and not be afraid of getting it wrong, living in these boundaried worlds. So, um, yeah, that I think was unconscious <laughs> um and then the more you know bindi was off the back of the bushfires we saw in 2019 and 2020 like pops country mum's country the country i grew up on um all of them were on fire and nans and i wanted to write something that spoke to the eco and climate grief that our young people were experiencing as well as the disconnection that our mob were experiencing because we weren't allowed to be on country and this want for us to change our approach and in, ingrain more First Nations perspectives of caring for country as a regular measure of of honouring the land so that we didn't experience these giant catastrophic fires regularly um, with cultural burns and things like that. Is it such an ego yeah. thing? Because I remember hearing around that time, I didn't understand too much about how um, the mob would actually care for the land through the process of, you know, burning off. And, mm. and I remember hearing something around, I might butcher this because it was a couple of years ago I heard it, that often you would burn a fire that would spread outward almost like a, a circle expanding mm. so that the animals had time to move away and it's kind of something that they weren't doing at the time i've been taught so i did my cultural burning course out west last year um and have been involved in a few small culture burns and have seen the, a mosaic pattern burnt where we're burning in kind of patches okay um and that moves country differently it's a cool burn so you can walk through it without getting burnt um, and yeah, I'm by no means an expert. I got to follow around Uncle D Freeman for a day and, you know, the beautiful Gathungal Maring boys down the coast and Ado Webster and the Webster family and the Morris family, they, they hold a lot of knowledge in this. Um, yeah. And I think that like the intention is that things, that it takes time, mm. um, that it's cold. So it doesn't absolutely desecrate the land and burn out everything and that it allows the seeds to regenerate. Um, yeah. But it's it's fascinating, isn't it? it? Yeah, and and I guess there's like land ownership means that we can't access the same places that we need to to yeah. burn, or um, which you know that's its whole 
that's a that's a whole other thing. The way that um, land has been bought and sold and handed on. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to buy a house at the moment, so I'm sitting in that pattern of gentrification, trying to figure out where I sit as a custodian. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I, I do hope that we continue to find ways to to care for country in whatever way feels right for the community who live on that land and who have cared for it for sixty thousand years. It's so Which important, looks isn't it? Across the two hundred and fifty nations. If we talk about building the life that you're living, mm. doing exactly what you're doing right now, which has so many elements, it feels <laughs> like it feels like you need bloody fourteen days in a week, not seven. How do you balance so many different things, and how do you choose, prioritize, mm. understand what the path forward for you should look like, what the best decisions are to make? And I'll preface this with a quote I heard the other day. We can have anything we want in life, but we can't have everything we want in life. And that's a challenge for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think someone taught me that a no is a yes somewhere else. Mm. And I really like that. Um, and I feel like the having the, the ground routine, my day-to-day routine is, is pretty solid and pretty much the same all of the time. I'm quite ritualistic in that I rise really early. You know, I leave my blinds open so the sun shines in wakes me up, gets me up. I go for a run or do my yoga or go to the gym and then I'll go for a swim. I start with cold water exposure every day, um, which has, I've, I'm seeing the re- the response in my body that the Huberman Labs talks about, <laughs> you know, that like big dopamine rush, the joy, but also the connection with people who I wouldn't usually talk to on a day-to-day basis. I sit down out at Ostomy Pool and have a yarn with all the old people and I love it. Um, and so there's, there's this, you know, delicious routine in the morning that gets me going and then I'll either work from home or I'll head off to meetings or if I'm working away I'll you know pack my bag and end up in WA wherever I'm um for work or be in the library and I'll go to this beautiful local library and sit underneath this fig tree and write or work um for the full day so I think having a ritual helps me show up to work with um with intention And that feels like an important part. And then having the dreaming um, and this purpose statement of I create to connect to make change, those two help me sift out what work to prioritize and to focus on. Um, And then there's times where I will just go rogue (laughs) and be like, I need, like, you know, I think when we caught up, I was in WA. I was like, I'm really sorry. I was supposed to be back, but my flight's changed and I'll, I'll see you soon. And that week I had four commissions due at the same time, which is, I feel so lucky to be able to work in the, in the creative world. Yeah. Um, that's a treat, but it's also a lot of brain space. And so when I came back, I turned off, I just put an out of office on, actually there's a permanent out of office in my inbox, which I'll tell you about. And I just wrote on what felt important to write about in the last week, um, which yeah, that, and, and I've finished a manuscript in a week. By being Where? like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing that work. I'm going to do this work, this hard work, this yeah. work. Um, so yeah, that that I think I spend a lot of time when I'm not at work. I love to meditate. I have a Yin Yoga practice every week. Every Sunday, I go and see the same guy, Mark. He's glorious. Um, I yeah, stay connected with people, friends, and family, and and I think all of those things really help keep being grounded in the busyness of life. But there are this year. I think I've I've scheduled three months out to go and write a novel, and I really want to honour that that time is for that novel. Um, I love that. Yeah, you have to do and you have to schedule focus work, right? Yeah. I read something this morning. I actually wrote it down because it stood out to me. Have you heard of James Clear? No. 
Um, he wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't I read the book, the book mm-hmm. but I've seen Quade Cooper, mm-hmm. the athlete, yep. share about it. And where have I got it here? It's somewhere here. Okay, here it is. Sorry. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> it said, success is not about rising to the level of our goals, but falling to the level of our systems. Mm. And I was like, isn't that bang on? Because how many people fall short of their expectations for themselves Yeah. and find themselves disappointed consistently with, I'm not achieving my goals. You hear so often that people are falling consistently short of goals. Yeah. And I wonder why that is. And I think it's important we set lofty goals, right? Because lofty goals stretch us and, and yep. mold us and we grow. But I, I am a massive advocate for systems, for routine. And I spoke to Katarina Kuhn about this last week, the mm. neuroscientist. I said she identifies as high seek, high play. Mm. That's really important for her. And I can imagine there's elements of that for you too as a, as a real creative. And she said, as someone who is high seek, high play, every day there has to be a new challenge or something exciting that I get to tackle and feel a little bit fearful of. And I said to her, I often hear creatives say, I don't like routine. Mm. I said, but I'm curious, is that just a reason to be potentially a little bit lazy, potentially to be a little bit sporadic? Mm. I said, because I I would seem to think that routine would serve everyone really well, no matter what kind of work you do or what kind of human being you are. And she said to me, it's true, but it's more so the dopamine inducing routines that Mm. are really important. So she said, waking up, seeing sunlight, running, having a coffee, a conversation, really important for her to then enjoy the freedom of the seek and play that, you know, will unfold throughout the course of that day. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. And I, I think my, my morning routine is very spacious. There's so much time for me to go and do all those things. So it's a routine, but it's not, you know, I, I wake up whenever the sun wakes me up or my body yeah. wakes me up. It's not, okay, cool. Well, it's 5.30. I need to get up and do X, Y, and Z within these times and be right there in the office ready to go. You know, there's there's days where I'll be processing something you know, a big emotional thing. I've had so many big things happen in my life in the last couple of years. And I wholeheartedly believe that you can't stop the big curveballs of life. You know, life traumas are going to keep happening. It's how you respond in that moment. And I think having the the freedom to be able to allow for those things to arise while also saying, and I wholeheartedly show up to the work with reverence, with respect for this process, with the intention to create something today. And I believe that I can do that thing. That mm. feels really important. Yeah. Do you find it difficult being less strict with the specific timing of your routine to, to have that space? Is it a challenge for you to navigate relationships around that? Because I, I'm a real people pleaser. Mm. And when I done my um, primal emotion assessment through Katarina last week, I was high rank, high care. So I've got a high drive to succeed, mm-hmm. but my highest drive is to care for the people around mm. me. But she said... The interesting thing is that all of these emotions have positives and challenges. And the challenge of the care system is you're predisposed to care potentially at times too much about what other people think mm. and to be, um, I guess, to fit into societal norms, situation, equations. And I find for me personally, I actually had a conversation with my partner, Soph, about this this morning. 
I feel like I need just a little bit more sleep. But I often I'm running with someone at six o'clock or I've got a coffee with someone at seven. Yeah. And I've, I find it hard to switch off that people pleaser button inside of my head that yeah. goes, you can't just have a little bit of freedom for yourself in the morning. Yeah. You've got to fit the schedules of all of these people. Yeah. Do you find that to be a challenge for you or are you a little bit more fluid with it? <laughs> so you can tell from my message, I, I'm, I was late today. <laughs> um, and the reason that I'm late pretty much all the time is, um, and I don't say this is an excuse, but just as a way of understanding myself is I'm neurodivergent. I have ADHD, which means that time is this. And also I'm a black fella. So like time's a white construct. It feels like such a strange, very rigid thing. Um, and I used to feel so stressed about being on time, having this very strict up every morning at the same time routine um, and found that that the anxiety of that wasn't serving me. And so I let all of my friends know, by the way, this is something you should know about me. And when I fall in love or if I'm in a relationship, this is something you should know about me. It's never because I don't care about you. It's just because I'm going to be late. That's Mm. just who I am in the world. And, you know, can we can we try and you know move towards this? And I'm also trying to honor your time better by showing up quicker yeah um so i think yeah if if it's if it doesn't serve you if it causes you anxiety can you push your coffee back can you can you catch up with that friend on another day can you let them know that you absolutely adore them i think that's really important telling people that you really care about them and that it's not for lack of interest or want to be there but that you just need to reframe this i think that's that's important the out of office i mentioned before um was inspired by ella bancroft who is um up on bundle country absolute badass um, and we both have a decoloni- decolonizing our inbox email, which is, you know, in the essence of decolonization, this idea of removing the colonial and capitalist constructs that mm. seek to minimize the ways that we move in the world. Things like you must rock up at these times. You must have this very rigid schedule. Um, how can we shift towards something that serves what we actually hope to cultivate in the world better? And, um, it said my out of office basically says like, thanks for your email. I really appreciate you writing me. I'm trying to decolonize my work and my life, which means that I'm prioritizing projects that are these existing things, um, time with my community and with my family and time on country. And I will get back to you soon. And if it's urgent, please send me a text. Mm. And so, and it's changed so much about the way that I work and people have said to me, thank you so much for your out of office. It gives me permission to do the same. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, and and if I'm arriving because I'm all fooled up from being outside on country because I my heart is energized and excited because I've been creating things in my community that feel really good um, because I feel like I have purpose and I'm in alignment with the ways that I want to, you know, support community or, or take care of country. Well, then when I'm arriving to those relationships or to those meetings, I'm a far better person. Mm. And... Um, and I don't feel like I have to trade off any part of myself to be there. I could be there in the fullness of who I am. I think that's a, an important way of being in relationship. Well, it's important to understand what allows you to show up fully, right? Yeah. And I'm starting to, to figure out what are the routines, rituals that allow me to be my absolute best when I sit in front of a mic, when I'm, even the other day, conversation. That's And the beautiful thing I'll say for everyone listening is as much as everyone gets to hear the conversations I have with a guest Mm. to be on this side of it, to be the host who gets to learn off people every week is such a privilege. Mm. I just recently had a, an, 
episode with Dan Churchill. Dan's an incredible chef, just such a great fella. And one thing he said to me in that episode was he was having a conversation with his brother just before he went into a meeting. And he's like, I wasn't present in that conversation. Mm. And his brother said, you're not here with me right now. Call me back when you have time. And he said, now every time I'm on the phone to my brother, I am 100% present in that moment. And I thought, that's something I need to be better at. I'm quite often doing two things at once. I'm listening to a podcast and scrolling through Instagram clips at the same time. I'm on the phone to someone I love, but I'm thinking about what I've got to do for work in the next half an hour. If I'm going to do something, be present in it. Mm-hmm. have have more genuine focus on what I'm doing, where I am, yeah. where my feet are, yeah. where my head is. And so I think it's such a challenge when you don't have those systems and routines that give you then the freedom mm. to be who you need to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tell me what for you is, what for you would be the life raft for when life gets a little bit crazy and challenges are thrown your way. Mm. What are the things that you go back to just to get centered again? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I have binged the Huberman labs and I spoke before about the cold water exposure. So I think having this routine is something that means that the life raft is less important. Mm. I think that's really, really sacred that there's um, things already in place. So when the unpredictable turbulence of life shows up, I'm ready for it. Um, the, he also speaks about the psychological sigh, which is a full inhale in and a short inhale on top and then a slow exhale out. So, Mm. but you do it through your nose. Um, and that for me, if I'm about to jump up on stage and speak to, you know, thousands of people, I'll do that. If I'm, um, emotionally dysregulated because I've just got a call that's really challenging, but I have to go into a meeting, I'll do that. Um, if I'm getting, you know stressed or overwhelmed or I'm tired, something like that. I'll weave that in and that will re-energize my system. Um, So I think that's another one. Calling people who I love, having people in your life circle that you can lean on is really important. Um, And I have a, I'm very blessed that I have a bunch of people that I can call and one or two people that I can, I know I can absolutely rely on, rely on no matter what the situation is. Hey, this thing's gone down, you know, I'll, I'll call those people. Um, seeing a, I see a, a psychologist, um, I think that's really helpful. Talk to me about that. Cause that's yeah. something I've identified in the last month, even yeah. in, you know, I'm in such a good place right now. And I think we often as a society say, I'll go see someone when shit hits the fan. And I'm kind of like, I'm in such a good place. I want to maintain this. Yeah. And I'm in a, in a line of work where you're judged off your last performance Yeah. and you've constantly got to be on your game. And I thought, Ooh, it's almost like I'm a corporate athlete in one sense or a creative athlete. Totally. It would be, I'm, I'm like, maybe that's a new, that's a new tagline I'm going to use, a creative athlete. Cool. And I'm like, if I want to be on my game every time I'm in front of a mic or I'm on stage mm. and I've got to perform, then maybe it would be really helpful to have someone that I can go to and just decompress with yep. who's, who's not biased. Yeah. Because, you know, if you ask my partner and my family, I'm the best podcaster in the world. I'm the best speaker oh, in the world. I'm the I best looking human being in the world. Like they're so, they're so biased and yeah. it's beautiful. I yeah. love it. But to have someone who's neutral and is there to, to help you psychologically yeah. is something I'm starting to value. And I've actually spoken to someone recently about creating a connection 
with a good psychologist. Yeah. So how and, has that been for you? And I and I say like could be a psychologist, could be a space holder, like there's a, or a um a somatic therapist or like there's a, or a, a psychotherapist. Like there's so many counselor, elder, mentor. There's so mm. many people who can guide you on this path. Um, and I think finding the right person for you is paramount and is a it can be a slow and unsettling journey you might not find the perfect person right away and you might have to try again to find somebody so i preface it with that um i actually only started seeing this therapist maybe um three or four months ago the partner that i was with had an affair and it really rattled me Mm. um and so a friend of mine was like maybe it's time to go see someone i'm like yeah i might go I might go see someone um, and she's amazing. She's local. We, yeah, I, I think just having somebody who can hear me and also reframe provider. I hear this as your experience right now. It, and that's a story you're telling yourself. Is there a way that you might change that to be more effective and help you on your path and your journey so that you can live mm. in alignment with, with your purpose and be connected. And I found it really, really effective. Yeah. I love that. It's definitely a practice. I want to be, somewhat consistent with and we have great access to this Mm. stuff now through you know medicare and stuff if you need to see someone who's you know a psychologist or psychiatrist it's incredible Mm. talk to me about the next couple of months moving forward the the year ahead are there any goals that are challenging you right now yes the um i think i said to you before that um i'll be spending three months of this year overseas writing a novel and um then I've, I've started it, but every time I start it, I get into a little bit of a gridlock and go, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. And I, in the last week, um, so we lost a young person in our community recently and, um, it, it rattled me and I went away and sat out in the bush, um, in the Royal National Park actually, and was sitting on this rock and had this big, like the sentence for a story come up to in into my head and I was like oh this is important write that down and I wrote it down and within the last week have managed to flesh out an entire graphic novel manuscript based around this line um and around um the loss of our young people particularly the mental health Hmm. um and the self-determination you know youth suicide so yeah I I wrote this whole book in one week and I was like okay if this is really important and the story can be fleshed out an entire week why is it taking me this long to begin this novel? Um, and so I think it's a challenge that's showing up to me and something that I'm, I think there's some beliefs there about my ability as a novelist that I need to go and sit with mm. and, and pick apart. And that's because predominantly I'm a poet and I'm, I think I feel more confident in being a poet. I feel like it's um, something that comes to me more easily. So I'm trying to figure out how I can weave my poetry into being a novelist. And that's a challenge that I'm sitting with at the moment. Like what are the beliefs that are getting in the way? How can I use the skills that I already have to hack the system? Um, and where is the proof that I can do this thing? Because there's proof. So how can I take that proof and reapply it into this new space? Is that ask? Can I ask, is that an internal thing that narrative of potential not enoughness in that space or totally yeah and i i think not enoughness is something and like we were speaking about ben crow before like the the stories the life stories that we have or the stories that we have about our life how they can be reframed and what we think the enoughness or the lack of is and where that comes from that's such an important thing for us to unpack and i definitely feel like there has been a narrative in my life of of not enoughness which 
has served me in really beautiful ways. Like there was this real rookie vibe to when I first arrived to writing. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not an author or a poet. I'm, I'm just writing a story. And then when it got picked up and published in five languages and awarded at the Prime Minister's Literary Awards, I was like, oh, okay, now I'm a writer. Um, and then, yeah, I, th- I think then I got the, okay, well now there's a, now that I'm a thing, now that there's a title to the, the thing and I'm not just a rookie who can play in experimentation, um, am I enough to hold to wear that hat or to hold that title? And that's where I have to keep flipping it and being like, stay in the experimentation, stay in the play, stay in the place where, um, it can be imperfect and that's all right. It's such a fine line, isn't it? Between an expectation of yourself which allows you to be better to grow to put the time in and the expectation that puts so much pressure and weight on your back Mm. that you feel stuck because of it and I constantly tiptoe on the line of I know as a speaker or as a podcaster a lot of my best and when I say podcaster more so from a guest perspective when I'm at my best it's when I show up and I speak from the heart Mm. And then there's times where I think, well, maybe I should put more work into developing this, to thinking more about the way I want this to go, what my objective is today. And there's times when that works really well. There's times where I feel like it's almost too performative Mm. for my liking and I don't feel as I'm connecting the way that I want to. And it's a really fine line for me. So I'm trying to find the balance between be prepared but I think it comes back to, you know, Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL. I, mm. I love what he says, discipline equals freedom. Mm. So it's for me, have discipline around my preparation and, and my, I guess, my skill set. So then I have the freedom to express it however I choose on that given day. Yeah. And that's that hard balance. Because when you start to get a few runs on the board, people expect something of you. Mm. And then you start to question whether you perform well enough today, whether you were profound enough, whether that was as good as the last episode you did or the last book you've released. And it's such a, it's such a tricky space to be in. We see it with athletes, rookie year outstanding. They call it second year syndrome Mm. because now I've got this expectation. The first year I come in with the freedom to experiment and play and build my name. Now I have a name. How do I maintain it? Yeah. And I think maintenance is a scary place. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. To all of that. I, um, I feel like the reverence thing, arriving to the work with your awareness of purpose. And we keep coming back to it, this dreaming that there's, you know, spirit who moves through you. These old people speak through you, you have a gift and you must tell story. And the whole purpose of telling story is to teach and to share and to forge connection. When I get lost, I'm like, oh, I have to go back to the purpose. I have to go back to dreaming that it's about relationality and and forming connection with people. That's why I create and I create so that I can make change in the world. And when I get lost from that, that's when I'm off in the ether and (laughs) spiraling (laughs) towards, I can't be a novelist. Um, Yeah. I I think it's, it's important that we find those grounding forces that keep bringing us back in the second year. Do you have a, do you have a feeling around this word comparison? Is it something you struggle mm. with? It's, is it something you feel free of? I, when I'm in the rookie mindset, there isn't comparison because it's just this like, whoa, this was cool. This was really fun. I really enjoyed making this thing. Um, I think when I doubt myself or my abilities or my 
um, right to be in the space, that's when comparison shows up. So comparison for me or, um, or jealousy or envy, when they show up, I look at it and go, ah, there's something here where I'm doubting myself or not seeing the magic of my enoughness. You know, um, the non-hierarchical way that um, in our dreaming or culturally and spiritually we see community, that everybody has this spirit in them, it's the same spirit that lives in the trees and the bird and the snake, you know, this connectedness that we experience, um, that is a real leveler in those moments too. And uh, in yoga, you know, we talk about so hum, the idea of like that I am or that I am or I am that too, this relationality and reciprocity. Um, when I see magic in someone, I can think like so hum, I'm that too. And when I see a flaw in someone or someone's hurt me, uh, so hum, I'm that too. Um, and when those moments of comparison, when comparison shows up, I'm like, ah, oh, this is a so hum moment. I can come back to that teaching, that thing that I know. Yeah, I love that. That's mm. such a beautiful way of saying it. It's in a similar way. I was listening to Steve Peters, the psychologist speak mm. a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking about how when we understand the brain and the way that the brain works prehistorically, we're designed to compare mm. because comparison is is safety. It's mm. connection. It's I don't want to be too far out of my community and my safety. Yeah. So I come back to, to fitting into the mold. But understanding that in modern society, we don't have to just survive. We can thrive. Yeah. And when we have the space to thrive, we have to understand that my brain wants to compare, but I don't have to feel as though I'm confined to comparison or I'm confined to this mold. Yeah. And then we get to be free of it. But it, it is such a challenge for so many people. And I think in understanding the thing I loved about his concept is that we are naturally low self-esteem because of our prehistoric brain, because of our mammal brain. Yeah. So, you know, it's understand it's a part of who you are, but that human system, that understands the world we live in right now and understands who I am as a person and, and can be individual yeah. in this world is allowed to thrive. So, mm. you know, free yourself of that. But so many people are harsh on themselves for feeling these things, for feeling as though that emotion is driving them to compare. You just have to let, let go. Yeah. I've, I've found so much freedom in accepting my emotions in the last couple of years. Like I mentioned, there's just big crazy things that happened in the last couple of years. And when you sit back and, and look at your life and you're like, oh, yep, there's another wave of giant emotion. I see it. And I'm not going to get lost in it, but I can I can acknowledge that that's what it is. And or I, I feel that and allowing myself to feel the depth of those feelings also has been revolutionary for my creative process and the works that I make. I think they're more real and vulnerable than they ever have been. And people are drawn to that kind of capacity um, to hold space, to, to share and witness emotions in the same way. Um, yeah, I think knowing that it's a <laughs> this you know this far out brain that you know is making these wild assumptions that we're being chased by dinosaurs and things but also that there's something to be garnered from sitting with your emotions rather than burying them um oscillating in and out of that feels important we spoke about this just last night me and two of my best mates mm. and it was a big part of our conversation over the course of the weekend that we spent away is Often in society, we don't sit with our emotions, thoughts, feelings, because we don't know how to be bored anymore. Mm. We don't know how to be still. And I'm not speaking as an expert here. I am bloody terrible with sitting still. There's always 
something in my ears, something on my phone, something on the TV, music, a podcast, something to distract myself. And I don't think I have purposefully meant to distract myself from my thoughts, Mm. but I think with so many things at our fingertips, we're overstimulated. Oh, yeah. And I was sort of writing yesterday in my journal, and one of the things that popped up was, you know, we've heard this saying so often, it's better to be busy than bored. Mm. And I and I sort of sort of spun off on that and I was like, it's better to be busy than bored. No need for answers when the questions are ignored. Oof. Yeah. And how often do we ignore the question or the feeling or the thought because oh, the answer's too painful to sit yeah. with, to understand, to work towards. I think we as human beings we struggle so much with uncertainty. And it's something that I I really find quite impressive in creatives. Mm. Not that they don't struggle with it, but I find it really impressive that in the creative space, there is a level of uncertainty all the time. All the time. (laughs) Because you don't know when the next piece of work is is going to be ready. You don't know when that piece of work is, or or whether at all it's going to come with reward. Mm. Because part of the reward for creative work is, you know, not only do we get to see it, you know, work in through our purpose mm. and, and touch people and impact people. But also as human beings in modern society, we need some money to be able to live and survive and eat and, yeah. you know, and thrive. Mm. And so it's it's a really hard space to be. And I think I've realized over the course of the last couple of months, I've been doing this for three and a bit years now. Amazing. And I left my job for it. I sold my house for it. Amazing. And I was sort of getting to a point where financially things were challenging and the uncertainty of knowing, how am I going to pay for rent next month and having to scatter and really hustle and try to book the next gig and try to get the next opportunity had me procrastinating a little bit and sort of in a space of, I don't know what my next move is or, or what I should focus on today. Yeah. But as I've just started to get a little bit of steadiness again, and I kind of know what my next two months look like now and there's some work there. It's allowed me to sort of be peaceful and go today. I'm just going to sit with, what the task at hand is and mm. let it be what it will be. And that's a nice feeling, but bloody hell, like it's, it's not so certain, is it? <laughs> I think you and I probably quit our jobs at about the same time. So yeah. it was like start of the pandemic, we'd gone yep. into lockdown. I switched into full-time freelancing. Um, and before that was working um, full-time or maybe four days a week um, up in the city for Red Room Poetry who are amazing. Go and read the poems over there. And I loved my job. But I just really wanted to full-time freelance. I wanted to know that I wanted to write and make art and for that to be the backbone of my work and for consulting work and um, teaching work to be a buffer to this really creative life that I wanted to live. And it was terrifying. It's so scary when you're teetering on the edge of it. But I thought, do I want to continue to live my life um, in a, like making other people's creative dreams come true? Or do I want to make my creative dreams come true Um, and then continue to provide the ripples of creative dreams or the inspiration for creative dreams for other people? Because I think doing your own, I felt selfish. It felt selfish to want to go on full-time freelance and make art and be Mm. a writer. And it was a story that I was telling myself that I had to be of service to people um, by being a teacher and creating all these projects in order to have worth in my community. But I had on the other hand, people writing me and saying, thank you so much for writing that poem. The poem that you wrote about gendered violence, the poem that you wrote about eco grief, the poem that you wrote about, um, you know, your connection to culture, those things really supported me 
and they made me feel seen and witnessed. And I was like, oh, maybe there is power in this telling stories, sharing stories, writing stories, full-time freelancing. And I had to just keep coming back to that every time I was about to not do it. Um, and then I think there's also this other part of you that really there's, there's such a survival in all of us that really kicks in when the going gets tough. And if you believe so wholeheartedly in a dream that you really want to go and get it, regardless of the financial stability that it will provide you at some point, your mind goes, okay, cool. Well, I'm not going to fail. I will not allow myself to fail in this. I will continue. Like you're still paying rent. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing all right. You know, like financially, but the, and I'm living a life that feels so fulfilling every single day, writing and being a part of storytelling events and speaking. And yeah. It's a beautiful feeling, isn't it? When it you really can is. be in that space. And I, you know, I look back on my former career and, and I, and I love a lot of a lot of the people I work with and I know that mm. a lot of them love what they do every day. There's a purpose to it. They get to provide people with homes. They get to be that link between yeah. someone's next step and them having a home big enough to, you know, have children in and, and all of that. And it's such a special career because you get to see that. You get to see the joy. Yeah. It's a stressful career though if you don't love it. And I fell yeah. out of love with it. But there was almost a level of guilt in leaving it because the conversation was you're going to make a lot of money in this and you think oh, a lot of money means that I can look after my people I can help my people there's no stress it's you know it's, it's a level of guilt that a lot of people struggle to get by yeah and I'm walking away from potentially a level of certainty yeah but you have to understand that as a human being if it doesn't speak to you like money didn't speak to me money was a as a driving force that was created by insecurity yep. and that feeling of not enoughness in my life that I thought if I obtain money, materials, objects, I'll be more valuable. I think we're told that. We are. Right? <laughs> Especially yeah. through social media. Yeah. It's in front of our face every day. Mm -hmm. And I remember being 20 or actually 19 when I walked into real estate and, you know, you're looking at all the people who are showing off their fancy cars and being loved and praised for it. Mm. And showing off superficial things and you think, you know, I was riddled by insecurity because I'd really struggled with my skin and I hated mm. the way that I looked. And, you know, I, I was so challenged by this feeling of not enoughness that I thought that's going to make me more impressive, more valuable. And it's so wrong. Yeah. And it, in the turn, in turn, it actually took so much from me. It took so much from my energy, my light, <clears throat> my ability to love. Mm. and who I am as a person at the core, which was this creative and positive yeah. being. Yeah. The, so to be back here now is bloody amazing. Yes, I love that. And I feel like there's, if we don't pursue our passions, they, they could rot inside of us. Mm. And that would just be such a shame for the broader world. Because you know when you see somebody who's living out in the fullness of the passion of their thing, their existence, they are, they love what they do, they bring joy and enthusiasm and prowess to it and they're so dedicated to it. You can see the ripples of that. Um, from like the person who's running the grocery store to your barista to, um, yeah, the, the teachers in, your, in our schools or, or more broadly storytellers like you. And I, I really feel like, there's something so bold about saying, no, I want, I want this dream and I'm going to sit with the underpinning stories or biases that I don't actually want to believe anymore and picking them apart and saying no more. 
I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to go and freelance. I'm going to go and be an artist or retrain, go and do my degree. Um, yeah, run a marathon, whatever it is. I just think we're so often, we feel almost as though we're passengers in life. And it's, it's understanding that you're supposed to be the captain of your own ship. Mm. And it's, it's funny that we, we allow ourselves to feel as though we're bound to certain expectations as human beings as we reach different ages. Yeah. Like at 30, I'm supposed to be this. At 40, I'm supposed to be here. That it stops people making progress. Like I, I mentioned to two of my mates last night that I got to a point really at the back end of last year where I realized that I was still inse- so insecure about how I was mm. and who I was that it almost felt like as I realized that, you know, the glass, the pane of glass at which we look out at the world through can get a bit dirty sometimes. And well, actually it's not permanently dirty. You can clean that and you can look at life through new perspective. Mm. But I think for people, it feels so scary. The idea that in cleaning that glass, they often have to start again yep. that they just think, well, you know, I don't want to waste the last couple of years that were, so I'm just going to just remain the same. Yeah. And and live in this sense of certainty but unhappiness. Yeah. And that is so sad. Yeah. Life is short, don't get me wrong, but it is bloody long enough to be patient with the, the purpose that you have and the things you love and the people you love. Mm. And and you have to grant yourself permission to go and pursue that path. Absolutely. Yes, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think it's so astounding to watch somebody clean the glass. Yeah. And I think we should we should compliment each other more. For the, for the small, like the picking up the rag, the walking to the window, you know, whatever those micro actions are that say I'm beginning to step towards this goal or dream when we witness our friends and our family doing that, I think we should celebrate that in those people because it's a scary thing It is to say, I'm not going to submit to this. I want to live a different life. It takes courage. So much courage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which can be terrifying. Right. And, and like I came out at 30, I remember, um, yeah, I, I like during the pandemic, God, the p- pandemic was wild. So life-changing, game-changing. I quit my job, started full-time freelancing, left the guy I was with um, and we had a house and a dog. He's beautiful. Um, and started seeing a woman. I was like, I'm going to go date a woman and, and came home to my parents and was like, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I am. I don't have a label for this thing yet, but like I like, I'm attracted to men and women and I'm going to date a woman. And they both had their own experiences of that. (laughs) Um, And my siblings were great about it. And I lost friends. I gained new friends. Mm. Um, And for the most, the the thing that, Kazzy, if you're listening, you're beautiful and I appreciate you. The thing that Kaz, my partner at the time, said to me was like, people care less about the thing than you do. I said, what do you mean? She's like, they'll have their perspectives and their opinions, but really it's your experience and you have to live your life and you have to do it your way. So you should go and do that. And so true. And I did. And I, I think the, the coming out made me so much more confident in the world because the fear that I'd had that people would just hate my guts if I lived in the fullness of who I was, was all of a sudden lifted. Mm. And I could see very clearly who disagreed with what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be in the world and who did support me. And the people who supported me, I was like, great, I'm gravitating towards them. And the people who didn't, I was like, I lovingly release you. Or 
I love you and we have different perspectives and that's okay. Yeah. And your um, perception of me doesn't define who I am. Um, but yeah, I think that was a really brilliant experience for me in, in realizing what happens when you clean the glass and you, you know, maybe just climb through the window, chuck the window out. <laughs> Can I ask? Start again. With, yeah. Cause it's so beautiful to hear that. And I love seeing people happy living their life, being mm. true to them. It's, it's so important, Yeah. but it is such a challenge for so many people, for me in areas of my life. I know for everyone I know, we all have our own challenges. Oh, yeah. And quite often they are relatable. Yep. We, we experience similar things as human beings, but they're, they've got our own unique context. For you, when you, when you made that decision that I want to go and, and date a woman, was that something that you felt you'd been suppressing for a long time or was it? Yeah. 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 Like I'd been, um, I'd been intimate with women, like, or, or like growing up mm. girls, you know, I think my first kisses were girls, a bunch of them before I kissed a guy. And I had fobbed it off as like, oh, it's just a curiosity. Oh, it's not something that fits within the picture of what I have for my life, which at the time was, I grew up in a pretty conservative community. And the idea is, you know, you, you grow up, you fall in love, you meet a man, you get married, you have kids and buy yeah. a house at the end. Um, and I could still, I might still without that, that life, but it might be on my own, raising a child on my own. It might be with a woman raising mm. a child who, you know, we've used a donor for. Like, who knows what the future holds, but the, the fact that I can sit here today and know that I've pulled apart that story about what my life should look like and replaced it instead with the myriad of possibilities of what it could look like if I was doing what felt right and good and true to me is a really different experience. Um, and it feels, it's so empowering in a way that like is indescribable when you're sitting in the fullness of who you are and you accept yourself and you tell people or you show people in the world, not for, for them to validate it, but just because it's who you are mm. and they either witness it and receive it and support you in it. Or they say, you're not for me. And you're able to be like, okay, no worries. And you know what? The thing is, I remember speaking to Hugh Sheridan mm. and he, he's a great man. He'll got a lot of time for Hugh. And we spoke about his, I guess his awakening to who he was as a human being mm. and coming out and being honest about it. And he said, I hated that everyone was trying to label it. I was just, it was just me being human. Yeah. It was just me being honest to what I felt, yep. to what I thought I needed. And I think that's important to remember. Totally. And it doesn't even feel, it doesn't even feel relevant or important at all that we need to put it in a box. Mm. It's kind of just being humans. And I, and I know for me, having my partner, Soph, and feeling, I had my partner as I accepted. I feel like it. it's funny how life works. I accepted that I was so insecure about, you know, how I looked and whether I was good enough and, and all of this. And I thought, the next person I meet, I'm going to show up for myself and I'm not mm. going to sabotage it. I, I want to give it an opportunity because I, I know I want to have someone that I love. And I know I want to create a life with someone that's important to me. I'm a caring character. I've got a loving family. That's something I want. And when I met Soph, she's incredible. Like created such a safe space yeah. for me to feel loved and to be vulnerable and not feel judged. And when we started to build a life, like I'm now looking at our future together and going, I'm so excited and I feel so overjoyed that we get to build a family together. We get to 
to have children and have little human beings that are part me, part her, running around. I'm so excited for that future together. Imagine if I just kept beating myself up about my insecurities and thinking I'm never going to be enough for the woman that I fall in love with. For me, that would have, it would have meant that I missed out on this opportunity. Yeah, totally. I think there's um, like the willingness to show up in the fullness of who you are and be vulnerable is something I grapple with all like, every day. Um, but I think it's the most compelling thing when you see it in other people. You know, when you witness that and you're like, wow, you're living in the fullness of who you are. You, mm. you back yourself and you know your flaws and you're not afraid to show them to the world. I think that's a really magical thing. And simultaneously, the willingness to be courageous in love and keep showing up again and again and again. Like I got my heart absolutely ripped out in the last year. And, um, and it was one of those moments where you, you know, <laughs> pathetically crying on the floor, like you, the grief moves through you every day and you, you carry, you walk around with it like Eeyore. Um, and I, I got to this point where I'm like, well, I guess you're coming grief. I guess you're coming to this meeting. You're coming to this lunch. I'm going to show up and say, I'm having a hard time because this thing happened and I'm really sad about it. And that meant something to me. Um, and then to go, okay, cool. I'm grief. You moved with me. I release you now. Yeah. I'm going to step wholeheartedly into the next thing willingly with the fullness of who I am. I think it's a really profound thing. And it does get better. And it get oh, absolutely. And, and I think my experience of like anxiety and depression is that any time where I've buried the feeling and not paid any attention to it and not felt the feeling or acknowledged why I feel it or questioned the stories under it are the times where it has been crippling in my life. Mm. The times where I, instead I've been like, oh yeah, I feel really beat up by that experience. Oh uh, yeah, I've got a story here that says that I'm inadequate because this thing happened. Well, come on then. Come on grief, you're coming with me today. Mm. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to cry. I'm going to feel it. Yeah, it's, it's changed so much about my way of being in the world. So beautifully said. We're getting to a point now where we'll wrap up this conversation because we could go for hours. Yeah. I want to ask you before we leave, Curly, if you could leave one message with the audience and encourage them to act on that message, what would it be? Oh, that's such a big question. And there's no rush to answer this. I love that you're taking the time to consider what you want to say. I think it would be about spending time out on country there's our days and our our time are kind of bookended by these events that we have to get to but any time that I get lost in the world or even when I'm not time on country is never time wasted you know being out in the ocean going for that surf that walk that bush walk sitting in the sand or up on the grass under a tree I would encourage our listeners to go and and do that and to be with what arrives and then to take that fullness of that experience into your day. So beautifully said. I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to come and have a conversation with me. Yeah, I'm going to make sure that everywhere the audience can find you is all in the show notes and the description of the show. I want to say thank you so much for being here. I'm so inspired by your purpose. The fact that your purpose is a part of everything you do inspires me as an individual as a creative as a man who wants to grow and develop so thank you thank you so much for tuning into another episode of a lot to talk about 
It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling. And as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.